All right, girls. We've got a book launch coming, and I want you guys to be there. I really do. Here's the thing. Friendswood is not that far. I drive every week. I drive every week to come here. And so what I want is for you to drive one week to Friendswood. Next Thursday night, October 11th at 7 o'clock to 8.30 at my local joint in Friendswood, Dunn Brothers, we are going to have a book launch. And this is where we'll start selling the books and then we'll sell them online after that. But we really would love it. You know, um, when you have a party and your insecurities rise up and you think, nobody's going to come to my party, I'm feeling that. I'm just going to say. I feel a little insecure. I want my friends to be there and you guys are my friends. I want to see your faces. So if you can, and I know that life is totally crazy. So I say some of that with tongue in cheek, but I sure would love to see you. Get your girlfriends together, carpool and come down, have a latte and get a book. We would love that. So that is next week, October the 11th. Okay, let's jump right in. I want to start with another fun, silly, sort of silly question that I want you to ask, talk about with your neighbor. Um, let's just say hypothetically, you're gonna speak on behalf of a friend, because this would not be true about you. When, you. when you walk into a large space like this with a lot of women, what might be some thoughts that go through your mind that would potentially keep you from walking in to a big space like that? What I'm trying to say is when you walk, sometimes walking into spaces like this and being around big women, yeah, sometimes it's not the easiest. What are some thoughts that go through your mind that you might be believing about everyone else or about yourself or obviously you're speaking for a friend? Share some of those thoughts with your neighbor. What are some of the things that you said when you walk in? What are, who's going to be bold and just say, tell me what some of the things that maybe go through your friend's mind when she walks in and may keep her. Judy. I wonder how many people I'm going to run into that I actually know. Oh, okay. There you go. How, who else? Anyone else? Am I dressed the right way? There you go. Am I dressed the right way? If you know me long, you might be thinking, is she going to call on me? Dear God. Is she going to call me out? Will I fit in? I don't know if any of you said that. It's interesting to me what we're talking about today. The reason I asked this question is because what we believe tends to dictate how we feel and then dictate how we behave. And so oftentimes I talked to a gal yesterday in Friendswood and it was her first time and she was like, whoa, I'm not a people-y person. And she was like, this is intimidating. And I said, tell me why you feel that way. And she said, I don't know if I'm dressed the right way. I don't know if I'm going to fit in. I don't know much about the Bible. I don't know if they're going to call on me. I don't know if I'm going to feel stupid. I mean, she had the whole gamut and she was happy to share that with me. And I thought it was so interesting because she said it took everything in me to come. She said, initially, I wanted to hold back because my insecurities crept in and her insecurities were stemming from what she was believing, from what she was believing. And so if you've Track, if you've been tracking with us, we are in the middle of a six-week series titled Refuge, and we're talking about the way God provides refuge for you and for me that might be surprising. He can provide refuge in a way that I'm not expecting it and might not even um, script it in my own mind. Oftentimes, I want the Lord to provide refuge in a very comfortable, pleasant setting. 
But oftentimes the Lord does not remove us from the difficulties and the trials in our lives. He provides refuge in the midst of them. And so if you've been tracking with me, a few weeks back we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we talked about the Lord's presence being with them in the fire. That He didn't deliver them out of it. He actually sent them into it. He enabled them. He allowed them. And then He was present with them in the fire. And He provided refuge there. Last week we talked about Hebrews and we talked about the Lord's death on the cross and how that death, that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice was the atonement which gave us the refuge to come boldly to the throne having been sprinkled by the blood. That part of his refuge is himself, that his forgiveness of my sin enables me to come boldly to the throne and I'm accepted. I can come just as I am. That's huge and we take that for granted. And this week we're gonna talk about the refuge that is our mind. I don't know if you're like me, but there have been times in my life when I think I am going crazy. I think I must be crazy. And I say that because typically my anxiety is amped up and it traces back to thoughts that I'm believing. Let me give you an example and I'll out my daughter instead of myself first. Um, I have a daughter that's 10 and she was complaining about her hair one day and I was like, Seriously, you have the most gorgeous hair. So many women would take you to the beauty salon with them and say, whatever number that box is, that's the color I want. I want this color on my hair. You have beautiful hair. And it didn't matter what I said. She was believing that she didn't. She didn't like her, her hair. She was complaining about it. And my words carried no weight to her. She was going to believe what she was going to believe. And one day we were in, I don't even know where we were. We were in some store and a woman just randomly said, you have the most gorgeous hair. And Beth's whole demeanor changed. And it was like all of a sudden those words had weight and she believed that to be true. And when she believed that to be true, it changed her whole countenance. Can any of us relate to that today? Can any of us relate? What we believe dictates how we feel and therefore how we act and behave. And so if I believe that coming here today that I might not be met with acceptance or I might feel stupid or I might not fit in, Well, if I'm believing that, then that's going to make me feel insecure and that insecurity is going to keep me from coming. That's going to create some resistance. And I'm going to think, oh, maybe I'll just do this. And I think of all sorts of good reasons not to come. What we believe matters. And the beautiful thing about it is the Lord says when we come into a relationship with Him, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we receive the mind of Christ. We receive the mind of Christ, and that mind of Christ is a refuge, is a refuge. And so the issue is not, okay, let me think his thoughts. Let me somehow manufacture and create the mind of Christ. No, 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 we have it. It's how do I access it? How do I access what's already true for me? How do I access it? Because the insecure thoughts, the shameful thoughts, the fearful thoughts, the thoughts full of worry... All of those thoughts, they're not from the Lord. They're not from the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because what we think matters. And we've got to think about what we think about. And we're going to talk about that in greater depth today. I want to look at Romans chapter 2. On your table, you've got some handouts. And we always write the scripture out. But if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me there. If not, just read along. We're in Romans chapter 12. We start at verse 1 and 2 is where we'll read. And I just want to 
read this passage. Paul, this is Paul the writer, is writing this. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And then we'll move to a different passage of scripture, which is 2 Timothy. So jump in with me for a second. Paul says this. He says, okay, and so, dear brothers and sisters, he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. And let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find accessible. This is truly the way to worship him. Let me stop for just a second. What Paul is saying is he saying, based on the mercy of God in your life, based on the fact that his blood has covered you, you are forever forgiven, you are found acceptable and dearly loved in his eyes. Based on that level of mercy, present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. What does he mean by that? He means just let him have his way in your life. Be malleable in his hand. Trust when he tells you to do something that he's worth trusting. When he says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you, believe it. Present yourselves as a, a holy living sacrifice. Oftentimes, I think what God wants for me is for my service, that he wants me to serve him. And I begin to think of ways that I ought to serve him. How would a good Christian girl serve him? And I do that, whatever that thought is. But the Lord is saying, I want you to ask me. I want you to live in fellowship with me and I'll lead you. And you'll find yourself in areas and serving me in ways you never would have predicted. You never would have predicted. But Paul is saying, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Trust me, be malleable in my hand. And then what's interesting is the very next sentence that he says. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. How many of us have said, I just wish I knew what God's will was. What does God want me to do? Paul's telling you the secret. Just trust him. Be malleable in his hands. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. What does he mean by that? He means this. There is a thought pattern in this world that is contrary to the Lord's, but it feels most natural to me. It is the wide stream and everyone is swimming in it and it's the popular stream and it looks like the most inviting stream, but the thought pattern of that stream will lead you to destruction and it is not God's best for me or for you. Even if it's not bad. God is saying, my ways are higher and my thoughts are, are nothing like your thoughts. So I want you to know what my thoughts are. And so don't copy, don't just fall into the pattern of this world. And it's easy to do. It's easy to do, but instead be transformed. I think that's a key word there. To be transformed doesn't mean to be tweaked just a little bit. It doesn't mean to get a little bit better be a little bit stronger. It means to literally do a 180. To be transformed means to be a new person. How do I do this? Do I do this by changing the way I feel? I'm going to feel joy today. I'm going to feel it. A good Christian is joyful. I'm going to feel joy. That's so easy to manufacture, right? No. Paul is not saying change the way you feel. He's also not saying change the what you do. Be transformed by changing what you do. 
So if I stop doing this and start doing this, that's going to make everything better. Now, some of us need to stop doing some things and start doing others. But nothing's going to help. It's, it, it, eventually, whatever I try and stop doing, I'll go back to it. If I don't change the way I think, the battle is in the mind, girls. The battle is in the mind. Transformation starts in the mind. And Paul is saying that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, another translation says. This translation says by changing the way you think. What is Paul assuming? That every one of us needs to change the way we think. But I don't think bad thoughts. It's not about bad thoughts or good thoughts. It's about God's thoughts or my thoughts. Yes, he's calling to tell us this is true. Change the way we think. Then, by changing the way I think, when I begin to access the mind of Christ that has been given to me, and I dwell on and meditate and marinate in His thoughts, then I'm going to know what the will of God is. I'm going to know. I'm going to know how He feels about me. I'm going to know what's true. These big decisions that seem so scary, they're going to be easier. I'm just going to, I'm going to know things. I'm going to know it, which is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's the best place to be. There's a purpose for each one of us in the kingdom of God. There's a part for us to play, and it's the most exhilarating role we can play because it's been designed for you, for you specifically. And it comes out, it's an overflow of a relationship with him and that relationship, as I spend time with him, my thoughts change and I begin to think his thoughts and the result is peace, patience, joy, kindness, goodness, self-control. God's thoughts, while they're not my thoughts, they're always better thoughts and they're always better for me. Always better for me. And so what I want to do is I want to shift over and we're going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is also the writer of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now he's just encouraged us, change the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we're going to see him encourage Timothy in this same truth. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop of who Timothy is and who Paul is. Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus and Paul was a bull in a china closet. Paul was one of those personalities that was just, I don't know if you, if you do any um, Enneagram study. I don't know if any of you, it's, it doesn't matter. He's an eight on the Enneagram. He is like a strong personality. He is one that is not afraid of confrontation. And part of his thoughts being changed was he began to simmer down. He was the one that was killing Christians before he came to know Jesus. And Jesus just got his attention on a road and transformed his life and he changed the way he thought and he viewed Christians differently and he had peace that passed understanding and he was in love with the Lord Jesus and he changed the world and he wrote most of the New Testament. And he had an apprentice named Timothy and Timothy was not wired the same way Paul was. Timothy was more of a compassionate shepherd heart full of compassion. He did not like confrontation. And so Timothy also had a gift of teaching, but there were times when he would get really timid and he would get very fearful. And so Paul is writing him and Paul is sitting in jail when he writes this letter to Timothy. 
And he's sitting in jail, full of confidence, trusting the Lord because he's done enough time with him. He understands the way God thinks. I mean, he doesn't understand all the way God thinks, but his mind has been seized by the Lord and he begins to think his thoughts. And Paul is just a mature believer at this point. So he's encouraging Timothy because he understands what it means when you're walking with the Lord and we, we trip up and we stumble. And that's where we find Timothy when he receives this letter. Second Timothy chapter one, we're actually starting in verse three. Paul says this, he says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God that I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. He says, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers and I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Verse five, he says, I remember your genuine faith, Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. Let me stop there for just a second. Your faith matters. <laughs> what you believe in your relationship with the Lord matters, not just for the condition of your own life, but for those coming behind you. Some of us in this room don't have biological offspring. Doesn't mean you don't have spiritual daughters and spiritual granddaughters or spiritual sons and spiritual grandsons. And so your faith, there are so many men and women that are spiritual fathers and mothers to me. And my mother and dad believed Jesus and trusted Jesus and I'm part of their legacy too. But it is so critical as you walk with the Lord that you allow others to see that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Your kids need to see a woman that has genuine faith. Those men and those sons and daughters that are in your sphere of influence, whether they're biological offspring or not, it doesn't matter how old you are and if you're married or single, your faith impacts those behind you, whether you want it to or not. Your life impacts those behind you, whether you want it to or not. Mine certainly does. Yours does too. And so what Paul is saying is he said, the faith that you came to know so readily was planted because of the faith of your mother and your grandmother. And so for Timothy, he moved into the faith without as much struggle, without as much struggle. But Paul is definitely careful to say that same faith is now genuinely, it continues strong in you. So at some point, it no longer was just his mama's faith or his grandmama's faith. It became his own. And so you and I need to know that too. If you do have children and you want them to be a certain place spiritually, let, you got to let that go. You cannot control it. You just follow and love the Lord yourself and you just pray for them every stinking minute. <laughs> That's where a battlefield ground is, on your knees. But just know that at some point, I began to own my own faith and it became real for me and that's what will have to happen for Ben and Beth. But I certainly don't want them to have to come to Jesus in spite of me, <laughs> right? I want them to go, I, you know, I watched it in my mother. I saw it in my grandmother. And so it wasn't as huge of a leap for me to just trust and believe that God is good, that he loves me, that he sees me. And that's what Paul is encouraging and reminding Timothy about. But this is what's important. Look at verse six. He says, this is why. Now, why does he say this is why? Is because sometimes you and I need to be reminded that we actually know the Lord and that we actually are saved believers and that we're not going to go off the deep end. And Timothy is struggling, and we'll see that in just a second. But he starts the letter by saying, I love you. I affirm you. I want to see you again. 
And then he shifts the conversation and he says, you got it. You're in relationship with the Lord. Why is he saying that? Because Timothy is slipping. Timothy is doubting. Timothy is in a fearful place. Why does he need to say that? Because when we get vulnerable, we start to change our thinking. When we get vulnerable, all the crazy thoughts start to enter in. And we t- they, they always really sound like our own voice. So they sound very natural. And oftentimes they come in and enter so quickly that our emotions react so fast and all of a sudden we're freezed up and paralyzed and crippled by our fears and we don't even know how we got there. But that's where we find Timothy. And he's saying, wait, 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 let me remind you who you are. You are a son of the most high God. You have been bought, you have been ransomed. The blood of Jesus covers you. This is who you are. I don't care who you think you are right now. This is who you are. You are a son. You are a son. And don't let anyone tell you differently. And so that's where Timothy is. And he's, Paul's going, come on, just start to relax. Remember, because he's all frozen up. Anybody can relate to that today? Yeah, we all can. He says, so this is why I'm reminding you, fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Oh, it's such a blessing to have a spiritual mentor in your life. If you don't have one, just say, Lord, would you bring somebody into my life? And it'll always be somebody you least expect, somebody you probably wouldn't have picked, but just ask the Lord. Start to keep your eyes peeled when you're at church. Lord, is there somebody that I could have coffee with, that I could just bounce these crazy thoughts off, that could remind me, could be a Paul in my life? And then you turn around and become a Paul to someone else to someone else. And he's saying, fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Fan it into flames. Why is he saying that? Because it's just an ember. It's just an ember. He's struggling. He's struggling. And then this is what he says that is so critical in verse 7. So he's saying, fan into flames. We'll talk about what it means to fan into flames in just a second. But verse 7 Paul just goes for it. He's just, I love Paul. He does not mince words. And he says, Timothy, and I just envision in my mind the tone with which he wrote this. I picture him sitting in jail, just like, just digging into the paper because he's so passionate about this. He says, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. Timothy, this is not who you are. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but instead, what has he given us? A spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind. Circle, underline, asterisk that. A sound mind. He's given it to you. I can't create it myself. God has given it to me. It is mine. I am not crazy and neither are you. You're not crazy. That is a relief for some of us today. (laughs) Just let that sit, let that fall over you for just a minute. Every time I read this, I get so, it just tenderizes my heart all over again because the Lord, I, I believe, saved my life with this passage. I was 22, 21, and I graduated from, um, a and I moved to Houston 
And I grew up in the same town. I was born and raised in the same town. Everything was familiar in that town. Uh, I have a twin sister named Catherine. And so I always had a partner. I always had a partner. And so I grew up with a foundation that was really pretty firm for me. I didn't have a lot. My parents divorced. That was a trial. But it wasn't like I had a lot of trauma growing up. I had a lot of common, predictable, familiar ground on which I stood. Went to uh, high school, then graduated, went to college. Catherine went with me. We both went to A&M. First semester was rough. I shared this yesterday. Freshman year of college was tough because we, we, it was like we came from this small town into this big university. The university itself was the size of my town. And I got there and I was like, hey, I'm here. Nobody cared. And <laughs> Catherine and I didn't know how to study. And we, oh my goodness, we laid in our dorm room for the full first semester, I think, every three minute that we had listening to Reba McIntyre on a cassette tape, singing fancy, just laying there going, surely this is going to get better. So freshman year was rough, but then after we moved out of freshman year, I developed some great friends that I'm still so close with today. And college became a bubble. And I left a bubble and went into a bubble. And my life was just really secure in my safety net. While I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, were my friendships, were my relationships, my, my sister and my dear friends. And my, um, I was involved in an organization on, on campus that was uh, just my whole world. And everything was fairly easy for me. And then we graduated and my sister had the audacity to move to Philadelphia. I know, it was horrible. She did not ask my permission. And so all of a sudden, you know, I am very much an in the moment girl. So I'm not really thinking about what's coming around down the pipe. I'm just thinking about how much fun we can have right now. And all of a sudden we graduated and I realized I got to get a job. And so I got a job in Houston and Catherine got a job in Philadelphia. Uh, Another roommate got a job on the other side of Houston. We all just scattered. And I moved to Houston, had never, I'd been to Houston one time in my life, moved to Houston and it was, uh, well, I just felt like I had, this must be what hell is like. Not because there weren't great people, but it was so big, so much cement and so many roads and highways and I just wasn't prepared for it. My first day on the job, I was supposed to be in the Heights area at TC Gesture and I wound up in Pasadena at the Ship Channel. So you can imagine how this starts out. I'm in just a snotty, weeping mess by the time I get back to work. And here's what begins to happen. After these experiences, I begin to start to believe I'm all alone. I'm not going to make it. This is awful. This is not going to get better. This is what life is like. I don't like this. And so all of a sudden... I couldn't have articulated it at the time, but these thoughts began to produce some um, anxious emotions within my heart. And I, I had not really experienced anxiety before in my life, but I began to become so anxious that it was crippling me. And I remember, and I was a believer, I was walking with the Lord in college, and I remember recognizing at one point, late at night, I thought, I'm not gonna be able to get up and go to work tomorrow if you don't show up, Lord. And all of a sudden, my faith that had been so deeply rooted in relationships, which is important, 
needed to go a step below that deeper and it needed to be rooted in my primary relationship with Jesus. And I didn't know how to cultivate that. I knew how to worship him and I knew how to have a lot of fun with Christian friends, but my one-on-one relationship with him had not really been cultivated because there wasn't a deep felt need. I was professing him, I was having a lot of fun, but then all of a sudden I was alone and scared and ill-equipped and my anxiety just began to grow and grow. And I remember laying in that bed one night and I was like, Lord, you've got to speak to me. And it wasn't like I could recall all these scriptures of encouragement at that time. When you're in the middle of um, anxiety and fear like that or worry, all you can think about is fear and anxiety and worry. It just get, you just get really jumbled. And so all I needed to do was just take my Bible and I just began to open it. And I was crying out to the Lord and he met me. He met me. And he met me because all of a sudden, in my childlike way, and I want, to, I want to articulate something that's really important. Childlike is not the same as childish. Childish is foolish. Childlike is faith. Childlike is a, um, a simple faith, and that's what the Lord desires from us. And so in my simple faith, I opened the Word, and I was like, Lord, point me somewhere. And He did. I just started to fall upon passages just for whatever reason in that time the Lord knew I needed. And one of them was 2 Timothy. Because it had come to a place where I remember going, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the full work day here. I am so anxious and so uptight. And all of a sudden, I felt paranoid. I was just like, I'm going to get fired. Look at the way she's looking at me. She's, uh, she's about to fire me. You know, just like crazy thoughts. I just was having crazy thoughts. And uh, I read this passage and and when Paul said this to Timothy, the Lord used this to say it to me. And the Lord said, Laura, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of fear, Laura. And he's not given you a timid spirit, but instead, Laura, he's given you one of power and love and a sound mind. Did I feel powerful? No. Did I feel loving? No. Did I feel as though I had a sound mind? No. No. No, 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 no. But I read that and I was like, I'm at a crossroads. I'm going to believe him or I'm going off the deep end. And in that moment, when I read that, it was like um, a freedom set over me. And it wasn't like I was released from anxiety in that moment by any stretch. But I began to go, okay, it just helped me recognize I am believing a lie. Because the truth tells me that I don't have a spirit of fear. That I don't have a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear is one I cannot control. Do I get fearful? You bet. Do I have a spirit of fear? No. No, no, and no. Do you? No, you do not. No, you do not. No, you do not. Are you crazy? No, you are not. No, you are not. You have a sound mind. I want to say something very, very clearly. If you're diabetic, you need to take insulin. If you have mental illness, you need to take medication. And that is a gift from the Lord. But what I'm telling every single one of us is we're not crazy. We are not crazy. The Lord has given us a sound mind. And you will feel crazy when you do not pay attention to what you are thinking about. Because as soon as I start to 
get out of control and start to feel nervous, a go-to thought for me was, I'm alone. I'm alone. And alone meant I'm out of control. Alone meant I don't know what to do. Alone meant this could go bad. And then I started to go, well, I, I am alone then. So the fear I might be alone shifts to a belief that I am alone. And then my emotions are just off the rails and I'm not getting out of bed. And I'm not getting out of bed. You fill it in, whatever it is that you believe. I'm not enough, I'm too much. I'll never measure up, I need to simmer down. I'm a horrible mom, I'll be single forever. I'm not worthy, whatever, you fill it in. But here's what I wanna tell you. If you don't stop and think about what you're thinking about, and if I don't stop and think about what I'm thinking about, it will derail us. And we wonder why we cannot experience the presence of God. And so when I read that, I was like, okay, I've got a sound mind. I don't feel like I have a sound mind, but he tells me I do. So if he tells me I do, I'm going to believe that. And so what I did back in the 90s, before, it, whatever, doesn't matter, I got a three by five note card. And I wrote that passage on scripture. I mean, that scripture on the note card. And I sat it on the dashboard of my Honda Civic. And I looked at it on the way to work. And it got me in the door. It got me in the door at work. And every time I thought during the day, I think I'm going to lose it. I would go, wait a second, wait a second. I don't have a spirit of fear. I don't have a spirit of fear. This is not who I am. This is not who I am. And it was like one baby step after another baby step after another baby step. And all of a sudden I started to feel more and more relaxed. I was having a hard time sleeping. Now I have a hard time sleeping because I'm perimenopausal. That's a whole nother thing. But I was having a hard time sleeping because I was so anxious. And I was really fearful at night. And so going to bed at night was really scary for me. And I was like, Lord, you got to speak to me. And I, I landed on a passage in Psalms. And it said, you will not be afraid of the arrows by day or by night. And you will lay your head on a pillow and you will sleep sweetly. That's my paraphrase of it. But I'm telling you, I read that he just led, it, he just led me to it. And it got me to sleep at night. It got me to sleep because I was in a desperate place where I, I just knew my thought patterns and my way of doing things was not working and I needed to trust him. I had to trust him. And as I did, my refuge, my mind became my refuge. It became my refuge. And I began to just feast on the word of God. What is it that you say about me, God? What is true? What is true? And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy because he knows that Timothy is slipping. He knows that he is struggling. God does not despise our struggle. The Lord is ever present help in time of need. Come to him and let him speak over you a word. If you are anxious or you find that your mind is just, you can't stop it. You can't control the thoughts and you can't um, ease the, re- the rapid pace of it. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like I can't turn my mind off. I can't turn my mind off. How do we access our mind of Christ? How do we do that? Um, Paul, again, tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and I'll talk about this for a little bit and then we'll close. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says this. He says, here's how we do it. We destroy 
arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We destroy, we don't just kind of push aside, we destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. To the obedience of Christ, we destroy it. So how do I do this? I destroy every thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. If Eve had done this in the garden when God said, did he, when the serpent said, did God really say you shouldn't eat of that? She knew the truth. She didn't believe the truth. If she had said, hold on just a second. Yes, he did say, and if she had stood on that, we'd all be in better shape. But he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Here's how I do it. It's very simple, rudimentary, but it helps me. Is that I literally envision my mind is a crazy train. When it starts to get out of control, I'm like, all right, stop the crazy train and let me see who's on board. Let's take inventory for just a second. Who is on board this crazy train? And I begin to write down what it is I'm thinking. Literally write it down. And I know I need to do this because my emotions are telling me so. See, your emotions are not wrong, but they're always subject to, the, to what you're believing. They're always a response to what it is you're believing. And so if I'm hyper anxious or really angry or wh whatever it is, that's a signal for me, stop. What is it I'm thinking? So I grab control. Okay, here's the crazy train. What are the thoughts on board? And I start to write them down. And when I write them down, it brings them into the light. And I look at it and I go, well, that's not true. That's not true. Doesn't matter if I feel like it's true. Big key. Because most of the time, all those crazy thoughts feel true. They always feel true. That's how the enemy hooks us because we are led by our emotions far too often. So they feel true, therefore they must be true, and therefore I'm gonna act on them. And I have to stop and go, okay, here we go. And, the, and Paul says you have to destroy them because they creep back in. So I have to raise these thoughts up. Let's just say, for example, I'm walking in that door today, and I've had a rough morning with my kids, I don't feel worthy to get up here and teach, and all of a sudden I feel on edge and I walk in and the board members can see it on my face that I'm totally a little off kilter and I'm anxious and well, I have to stop. Okay, what am I thinking? Well, if I really pay attention, the thought that I'm probably believing is you're not worthy to get up there and teach. You're not worthy to get up there. and You yelled at your kids on the way to school. You're not worthy to get up there and teach. All right, well, I have to look at that and go, okay, is that true? Is that true? No, it's not true. But here's what makes me worthy. It's not my behavior. It's the blood of Christ. Remember last week, having been sprinkled by the blood, I can come boldly to the throne. So here I get to look at it and go, you know what? I did yell at my kids. I did. I'm a hot mess. But what is true? I am accepted. I am loved. I am adored. The Lord is the lifter of my head. I am covered by the blood. He's at work in my life. And it's not me that has anything to offer here today anyway. And so, Lord, you just use me as a vessel, and then everything begins to change. You see? But I have to think about what it is I'm thinking about. And it's so natural to think that we are less than, too much, not enough, whatever it is. The enemy is really, really good at knowing what our jugular is. Yours will be different than mine. But Scripture says you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. So what is the truth? You've got to know the truth. I've got to know the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What does Jesus say about me? What does scripture say? He created me in my mother's womb. All the days were ordained for me before one of them have come to be. He delights in me. He dances over me with singing. The angels rejoiced when I came to know him. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The plans he has for me are good plans, not plans to harm me. What does scripture say about him? He will never leave me or forsake me. He never changes. He's forgiven me. My sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. When I meditate on that, everything begins to change. And it is not natural to meditate on the truth. It is natural to swim in the big sea with all the other fishies in this world that'll say, you better shed a few pounds if you're going to be worthy. Ooh, you didn't work out today. Oh, you better hurry up and get married if you want to be validated. Oh, your kids? Oh, man, your kids better behave a little bit better. Did they make the team? Oh, they didn't. Dang. Huh. How many square feet is your house? What year is that car? How happy is your marriage? What's your bank account look like? We're bombarded. We're bombarded. And so God is calling us to a different way of living. And the transformation comes by the renewing of our mind. And the beautiful thing about it is we've been given the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ. I don't have to strive and do this, but I have to be intentional. I have to receive it. I have to apprehend what's already true. I've been given the mind of Christ. And when I begin to meditate and marinate and sit in what is true and let my mind focus on that, I start to believe it even more and my feelings start to match up to it. And I walk in peace. I walk in peace. And the longer I walk with the Lord and the longer that I do this, I really do recognize that my mind is a refuge. Because I get bombarded all day long. This book that's coming out, this book right here, this, this thing right here, this thing. This is a tool for God to use. This does not determine my worth. And that is such a gift because then I can just enjoy it. I can enjoy it. You see the difference? Your kids don't determine your worth. Your bank account doesn't, whatever it is. And so I just want us to take a second before we close. There's some, on your page on the back side, there's 10 lies I found online that we tend to go to to believe, that we tend to believe readily. And here's what's so interesting about this, y'all. I found this on a website. I just started Googling and I found this on a website and I started to read the 10 lies and I was like, oh, totally true. And then I recognized it was on a tweens girls website. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm in my forties and yeah, mm-hmm, yep, all of them, all of them. The enemy is just, nothing's new under the sun, but we all struggle with this. But what's helped me is when you read these lies, you might find yourself identifying with one of them more readily than the other. But below it, you'll find the scripture to counteract that. And so what I want to do um, this week and what I want you to do, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but I want you to commit to just asking the Lord, is there anything I'm believing that's a lie about myself or about you or about my family, about my life? Just take one. Take one. And then ask the Lord to show you what is the truth? What does the truth say? 
And then you and I get to be women of courage this week to go, you know what? I'm not going to believe this anymore, even though this feels so true. It's so deeply rooted and ingrained. I'm going to focus on what is actually true. And I want you to see if that changes your week. I bet it will. I bet it will. It certainly is changing mine. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you today. And I just thank you for these sweet women. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you bought us. It was, a, it was costly, Lord. You ransomed us. You redeemed us, not so we could walk with our head held low, but that it would be held high. And I thank you, God, that you have given us everything that we need in this world. You've given us the mind of Christ. We have a, we, the mind of Christ. We have a sound mind. A sound mind. A stable mind. So, Lord, I pray that we would rest in that. Rest that we've been given all the power that we need to obey you. That we've given, been given all the love that we need to love you and to love ourselves and to love others. And so, Jesus, I just ask that you would do what only you could do. Would you speak to each one of us today? Would you point out what it is that you wanted to say directly to us? And I pray that we would receive it. And I pray that we would trust you. And I pray that we'd believe you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Girls, thank you all for being here. We've got two more weeks, two more weeks. So bring some friends. We want to see you back.